sad goodbyes will there be spoken for time will matter anymore Beulah land I'm longing for you and someday on the I'll stand there my home shall be Looking down across that old river where my faith is gonna end in sight, there's just a few more days down here to labor, then I will take my Tremendous message, doesn't it? Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes again tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've been dealing with the book of Ecclesiastes for a little while now, and on Sunday nights we've kind of been going through it. And again, we're, you know, in our series, Life Weighed in the Balance. And in this particular chapter, once again... We're going to check out this fellow by the name of Solomon and deal with what he's saying. And again, he's a man that has enjoyed every pleasure life has to offer. He's held the most prestigious position in the world. He is the king of Israel. And again, uh, that's uh, at a very prestigious position at that point in history. At that point in history, Israel, of course, was the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And one day, one day in the future, they will be again. God's not done with Israel yet. There may be those who have tried to kind of push them aside and kind of remove them out of the way. But I'm going to tell you, God's not done with his people yet. And the church itself does not take the place of Israel. Can't take the place of Israel. Because Israel and the church are two separate, distinct groups. And God's still not done with Israel. And when the church is taken out, God will begin to deal with Israel again. 
And so we have this king, King Solomon, and he is, of course, enjoying all of these pleasures. He is testing the water, so to speak, and he is considered one that is the wisest man that basically ever lived, if you will, and he was healthy, wealthy, and wise. Who better to address the issues that are found in this book? But we must remember always, and we can never forget, that what is expressed is the viewpoint of a man. And there are times in the book of Ecclesiastes where we think to ourselves, that, does, that seems somewhat inconsistent with God and His Word. Well, it very well may be. Because again, it's from the perspective of a man. And may I say, one of the dangers in our lives is that we have a tendency at times to create our own reality. And we neglect God's Word to a degree or another, and we come up with either our own concept of God or our concept of what He is and who He is and how He feels and what he thinks, and we may have the wrong perspective if we're not careful. Well, Solomon, unfortunately, is a man, and so some of his viewpoints are rooted in his humanism, not in necessarily the Word of God or in God himself. And so we have to keep some things in mind here as we go through. And again, we've said before as we, in, in past you know, introductions that many cults and many false groups utilize the book of Ecclesiastes. So we have to balance this book in light of the whole canon of Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now, chapter 7 begins speaking of a good name. And I want to focus just on verse 1 of this chapter tonight. And then we're going to just take a few moments and consider a thought. And the thought is this, the day of death and the day of birth. Those two times. We, our birth and our death. And, and we're going to see that it's really interesting to note that, well, we'll see what we have to say here in just a few moments. And I want to begin by having a word of prayer with you, and then we're going to read that verse, and we'll go ahead and move right along because of time tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We are excited about what you're going to do in our vacation Bible school, looking forward to just the, all the emphasis that's being placed on that now and the souls that will be saved and the lives that will be changed. But tonight we gather here, Lord, looking for you to do that in our midst tonight. We want you to do something special, something miraculous in our hearts. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us through your spirit and through the word of God. I pray that you'd fill me and anoint me with your spirit. And Lord, may you anoint every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears tonight. May you, Father, encourage us through the word. May you inspire us and may you move us to be everything you want us to be and to ultimately have the viewpoint we ought to have and live the life we ought to live. We pray now, Father, that you would take control of this service and we commit it into your hands. In Christ's name, amen. In chapter 7, verse 1, we read, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Right off the bat, we see that chapter 7 begins speaking of a good name. It says, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, precious ointment was was extremely valuable. It would bring pleasure by providing often enjoyable aromas. It was used medicinally, and it would often help people temporarily, I'm sure, but even sometimes even for longer. It would give relief to the body and so forth. There were a number of applications uh, in how to use ointment. And in the Old Testament and in Bible days, ointment was used often. We've actually got to return back to oils even today, right? Some of you have those things that 
blow smoke. You know those things. I, I don't know what they're called, but my wife loves those things. And I walk around and, you know, I mean to tell you, I feel, you know, I feel like Rocky getting strong now. You know, I mean, that's, that stuff's just doing it, right? And, and they tell you you can rub it on your feet and you can, of course you can rub it on your feet because you have to use more. But the fact is, I'm sorry, we have a salesperson in our midst. But anyway, uh, the fact is, is that is it, it is. I mean, honestly, we use it and, and, and even we're making a return back to ointments and things and we're recognizing the value of that even medicinally. Now, there's a topical cream that I've been using lately. I have a sore foot and, and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll put that stuff on and rub it on my feet and all that stuff. At night, they tell you to put it on at night, put it on in the morning. And, and boy, I tell you what, I've been using it and I'm waiting for it to work. But anyway, the <laughs> fact is, is that it's there. And boy, I tell you what, that, that we're getting back to the ointment thing. And I'll be honest with you, I think some of it is. It, it's, 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 it's beneficial. It's It's helpful. And you know what? If that's something that you, that you believe helps you, praise the Lord. If anything helps, let's face it, use it. I don't care what anybody says, right? Well, except for marijuana. But anyway, um, unless it's medicinal and you've been... I don't want to go into that now. But anyway, I just know some of the teens tried to show me a uh, prescription the other day. But nonetheless, uh, no, they really didn't. I'm teasing. But anyhow. <laughs> okay. Okay. If you'd have seen... Isaac Socks the other night at the formal, <laughs> you'd have thought that he was doing something. But anyway, right, Isaac? Okay, <laughs> moving on. But precious ointment, how valuable it was and, and how important it was in that day. And he says here in the passage, a good name, he says that good name is better than precious ointment. Well, I'll tell you what. It follows you everywhere, that good name, doesn't it? It affects you continually. It influences everything in your life. You know, in Proverbs 22, 1, the Bible says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor than, uh, favor rather than silver and gold. Well, I know that, uh, that precious ointment is very valuable. You know, you think about even that which was applied to the feet of Jesus. Extremely valuable. But we see here, he even makes the equation, he equates it with, he goes on to say, it's to be chosen rather than great riches. Wow. Valuable. So what are, we, what are we to learn? Leave a good name as a legacy to your children. Leave a good name. And children, make sure that you preserve the good name of your family. When people say your name, what kind of taste do you leave in their mouth? A good one or a bad one? Well, there's all kind of those breath mints, you know. And uh, honestly, some of those breath mints are really refreshing. And there are others that are so strong that when you take them, I mean, I, at least for me, I'm like, wow. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, so, so you know, we kind of used to use gum, but then we found out it was rotten our teeth. And so now we started using all those things you put in your mouth. I mean, it's all kind. Then they had strips, you stick it in the back of your tongue. There's all kind of ways. But some of that stuff, boy, I'll tell you what, you go, man, that is good. I, I like it. And there's other stuff you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Good taste, bad taste. Let me ask you, when you say your name in public, when, when your name's mentioned, what kind of taste do you leave in the mouths of others? The first phrase goes hand in hand with the next one, though. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And he goes on to say, and the day of death 
than the day of one's birth. Man, I mean to tell you, Solomon, boy, you seem like a fatalist. You're very negative. You're so critical, Solomon. I mean, are you kidding me? What you're saying is, is that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's uh, birth? That makes no sense. Man, I, I'm happy I got born. I'm glad that I, I, I have life. And man, I'll tell you what, you know, for most people, they're not looking forward to dying in a sense, although we ought to be at least prepared and ready. And we should be at a point where we can't wait to see Jesus, especially when times get tough in our life and our bodies start to fail us. I think it's a little easier to look up. But the fact is, is that we would think life is to be held on to. Life is precious, and it is precious. But he says, the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. You say, wow, that, that, that's kind of confusing. Well, I want to give you five reasons why our death is better than our birth. And so, first of all, birth begins a life that at best is brief. Did you get that? Birth begins a life that at best is brief. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 90, verse 10. I mean, the day you're born, you got to realize, I mean, the day of your birth, you have a life that is brief at best. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, chapter 90, verse 10, The days of our years are three score years and ten. Three score years and ten. Seventy. Seventy. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Wow. You, you know, some of you young people right now, you're going, 70, 80? Wow. That's a long time. That is ancient. I used to think it was ancient, too. I used to think it was ancient just last year when I turned 40. Okay, so maybe I didn't turn 40. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that I need to tell you is that he says, at best, I mean, your situation is, I, I'm telling you, 70. And if you, by strength, if you somehow have the strength to continue on, 80 maybe. Now, there are some that live past that. But we also know there are many that don't live to that. James chapter 4, verse 14, a very familiar passage says, Where, as you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time, then vanisheth away. A vapor. We go out in the winter and the, we take a deep breath and we go, and we see that vapor. And boy, I mean, it's there for just a short time and it's gone. Boy, in light of eternity, that's how our life is. Okay, what about my birth? Well, at best, your birth begins a life that is brief. At best. Death begins a life which shall never end. <laughs> I mean, Wow. I mean, we could look at John 3, 16. Let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Everlasting life. How long is everlasting? Forever. 
I mean, you think about our birth, and why is our death better than our birth? Well, our life, at best, is brief. But eternity, I, I mean, our death brings us into eternity. It, it, it bursts us into eternity. And in a life that shall never end. In John chapter 6, verse 40, the Bible says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the, the last day. John six forty seven says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You say, why in the world is the day of my death better than the day of my life? Well, because the day of your death begins an eternity of living with the Master. Wow, what a wonderful promise we have. And I do realize and I understand that it's very difficult at times to see past this world which we live. As we talked about the other day, I think it was last Sunday night, we've got to be careful that we're not this way, but we're this way. I mean, our our vision can't be horizontal. It's got to be vertical. We've got to be able to see that it's not just about today. It's about eternity. And the fact is, is that our death is better than our life in the sense and in the fact that we are eternal beings and we will live forever in that state of glory with God. What a wonderful truth that is. Why in the world? How could this Solomon? I thought he's supposed to be so smart. I thought he's supposed to be so wise. How could he even say, The day of our death is better than our life. The day of our birth. Well, that's one reason. One reason. Because birth begins life that at best is brief. Death begins a life which shall never end. Not only that, but birth leads us into a field of toil. Years ago, I remember the first time I I did some work for, for my pastor at the time. And my brother and I, we were asked by the pastor, and preachers are really good at getting people that don't realize what they're getting into to help them. Boy, did he sucker us. But anyway, he talked to us, said, hey, I need you to give me a hand on my farm. We're like, oh, okay. Man, we were all fired up. We're like, yeah, we're going to go work with the preacher, man. It's going to be awesome. Man, it, it was awesome. Don't misunderstand me. We were excited about it, and, and we were thrilled that he would ask us. And so the two of us put on our work clothes, and we made our way over there early in the morning, and, and we started doing some work around the house, and that was all fine and well, and work around the yard, and then work around the, 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 the farm type, so to speak. And they had horses and all kind of things over there. And I remember he said, now, I need, I need to do something. I, gotta, I, I need to fill up my, my oats. I've got a, a silo, and we need to, i got to pour some oats in the silo. But here's the thing, i got to make sure there's no pockets of air in it. I want to make sure that it's seated real good, that there's no way there's, there's anything in it, because that kind of stuff can catch fire eventually and create heat and all this stuff. He's telling us all this stuff. can't remember all the reasons. But he said, you two, I want you in the silo. Now, I want you to know that it's summer. It's rather warm. He didn't get in the silo. We did. So here we are, both of us, in the silo. And he's like, all right, now, as I start pouring this stuff in, make sure you keep your mask on, fellas. As I start pouring this stuff in, I want you to make sure that you keep kind of digging through it and kind of laying it out. You know, make sure it seats real good. And as it fills up, just, you know, you'll kind of rise to the top. 
All I want you to know is that I thought we was going to have an enjoyable time with the preacher. But I'm going to tell you something. Amidst all the choking and the almost throwing up because there was no air to breathe and it was just unbelievably, I mean, just filled with oat dust. I, I, never, I never did that again in my life. You talk about work. I don't want nothing to do with that. But you want to know something? That's what life is. I mean, if you really get down to it, the Bible says that we are born into a field of toil, basically. We are born into work. Psalm chapter 104, verse 23, man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. He's saying, listen, guess what? You were born, and in that birth, you are birthed into toil. You're birthed into work, birthed into labor. That's what your, your lot in life is. Now, I mean, you know, I've always been taught work smart, not hard. So I found a job other than farming But I'm going to tell you something, if it's work, it's toil. And you know what? There's no way you get around work because that's what we're birthed into. And Solomon's saying, listen, you want to know something? The day of your birth, <laughs> the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Why? Well, because you're born into a field of toil, but death leads you into a home of rest. Think about that. When you die, it's not about toil. It's not about work. I do believe that we'll have responsibilities in heaven. I am convinced that we'll work. I believe just like Adam was there to, to, to care for the garden and keep the garden, and, and it was enjoyable, and it was a blessing to him. I think uh, before the fall, work was not laborious like it is now. It wasn't among the thorns. It was enjoyable. And may I say that when we do the labor of God in this life, in the Spirit of God, it ought to be enjoyable. It ought not to be a burden. It shouldn't be just a labor, although it will be work. But I'll tell you what, when you die, when I die, if you're a child of God today, that's a lot better because you're born, if you will, or exit this life and you're in a home of rest. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. I know the context of the passage. I understand chapter 13. I realize where, uh, 14 where it falls in Revelation, where it falls in, in the future. I get that. But I think practically speaking and inspirationally speaking, we can apply that to our life. We know without a doubt that we are born into labor. That's one of the curses. But boy, when you die, it leads you to a home of rest. So Solomon says, hey, let me tell you something, a little bit about birth and death. Death is better than birth because you're born into a field of toil. But when you die, it leads you into a home of rest. Not only that, but we find out that birth places us in a, a place of, of suffering. Now listen, you may not have experienced suffering in your life yet, so to speak. Maybe you have found that life has run pretty smoothly, and I pray and hope that that continues for years and years and years and years. But the reality is, is that if you live long enough, you will suffer. Because, see, that's the nature of life. And when you're born, you are born into that kind of life. There's going to be suffering. And for the believer, we have to understand that suffering has a purpose. 
And God intends us to suffer for a reason. We shouldn't just suffer and become bitter. We should suffer and get better for God. That's how it's supposed to work. I mean, Jesus suffered, so why should we expect anything less? The Bible says in Job 5, 7, yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. I don't know about you, but just the other day I had a fire going outside the house. I'm trying to get rid of some brush and some other things. And so I was just trying to burn it. I was doing some other work while I was doing that and found out that the house caught fire. But that's okay. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, I, I, so I was letting that burn there on the patio and, and I kept running over there. You know, you got one of those little round things, you know. Is, I, I really didn't want to destroy all the grass. Not that I'm a big fan of grass, but because but, you got to cut it. But, but the fact is, is that I, I was burning some things. And boy, you know, it's funny. I'd throw those logs in there. And, and especially if there was any leaves on anything. And man, those sparks would go, start blowing everywhere. I didn't matter what I did. It seemed those sparks would crackle and crunch and pop and go up. It didn't matter what I did. It just seemed like that was just natural. You want to know something? What's natural in life? Suffering. Difficulty. See, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. You're going to have troubles in your life. Difficulties. Challenges. That's what birth brings. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. You believe that today? I do. You may not have experienced some of the trouble that other people have experienced, but you you know what trouble is. But you know what death does? It places us in a realm of joy and happiness. Now, I know that we can experience joy on earth. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I do understand that. But boy, when you close your eyes in death, you don't have to worry about trouble anymore. Revelation 7, 16 says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. It's going to be a blissful place. It's going to be a, 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 a beautiful place. It's going to be a marvelous place. And Solomon says, listen, let me tell you something. I, I want to give you a heads up to anyone who reads this. Uh, I want you to know that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Because when you are born, let me tell you something, you are entering a, a time and a place of suffering. But when you die, a realm of joy and happiness. Well, that sounds better to me. Doesn't that sound better to you? Now, let's be honest. Most of us don't look at death that way, but we ought to see death that way. We, ought to, we have to assimilate and try to somehow, uh, you know, saturate ourselves with the reality of Scripture. Because all we know is what we've seen and heard and experienced in this life. This is all there is for us to some degree or another. Unless we dig into the word of God. Unless we're on our knees in fellowship and relationship with Christ. All we know is this life. And we don't want to let go of it for anything in the world if we're we're not in touch with God the way we ought to be. But when we start understanding these precious promises, we understand there are some things worse than death. Matter of fact, there's a number of things worse than death. In this case, he says, listen, birth brings a scene of suffering, but but death, a realm of joy and happiness. Also, birth introduces us to a life of sin. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, please. 
It introduces us to a life of sin. We see here in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. Well, I could ask the question, what had God already done here? What had transpired and taken place? And I'm sure a resounding voice would say, well, the flood. The flood is what transpired. That's what took place. And indeed it did. And why did it take place? Because as God said here, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. May I say that that did not see simply because he had the flood. The fact is today is that we're in the same boat. In Job chapter 14, verse 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. No one can do that. And the truth is we are unclean in the sight of a holy, righteous God. We are born that way. Birth introduces us to a life of sin. And you know, we uh, have uh, classes on how to lead people to Christ and we teach in Sunday school about the gospel uh, and how Jesus Christ uh, died, was buried, and rose again, and how we can deal with our sin, and how God alone can forgive us, and cleanse us, and make us clean. Why do we do all that? Because we are sinners at birth. Isaiah 51, 5, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and my arms shall they trust. And that's not the verse I was looking for. I think I was looking for Psalms 51.5. In sin did my mother conceive me, he says. David, the psalmist, in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that my mother was such a sinner, but that at birth, in conception, at conception, I was a sinner. Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. See, what we find here is that birth introduces us to a life of sin. But death introduces us into an existence of holiness. Now, I get, I get, I get it. Okay, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. I understand that, you know, that we don't sin if his seed remains in us. I, I understand that. But from a very practical sense, you and I will battle with this flesh till the day we die. But once you are dead and the flesh is no longer a part of you, you have a new body, you're in the presence of Christ, (laughs) the presence of sin will be gone. Solomon says, let me tell you, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And you say, that's nuts. He's out of his mind. What's he been smoking? What's he been doing? That's nuts. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because, see, birth introduces us to a life of sin, while death introduces us to an existence of holiness. Jude one twenty four says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
In Revelation 21, 27, it says, And there shall be, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That new Jerusalem will not have any sin in it. It will not have any wickedness. There will be nothing there that will corrupt. We will shed this body of sin. And we will, we will receive a body like unto his body. Perfect, sinless, without spot or blemish. Philippians 3, verse 20. Turn there, would you please? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Powerful verses. Man, encouraging verses. Tremendous truths in the word of God. These, this is one of them. Notice what it says here in the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading verse 20 and read through verse 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Notice, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, we know that the disciples had the opportunity to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration. But not only that, but after his resurrection, there were others that saw him. Matter of fact, they, they sat at meat with him. They fellowshiped with him. His body. You know that body that all of a sudden he appeared to the disciples in that room. That body that enabled him to go from this plane this dimension, if you will, to literally heaven like that. That's the body you and I will have. A body like unto his body. What a wonderful truth that is. That is more of a, a blessing to me every day of my life as I take one day after the other and one week after the other and one month after the other, one year after the other, and I realize I have aches and pains that I never used to have. I have to wear glasses now. And if I get to the age of where my father and my mom are, I'll probably need hearing aids and I'll probably have to have some assistance along the way and moving and getting around. And if I'm not careful, I already have experienced some arthritis and I can't imagine what it'll be like 20 more years if God grants me 20 more years. And boy, I'll tell you what, that new body is sounding so much better all the time. You know, when you're young and you can run and jump, I still remember my kids, I talk about it all the time, over at the old building, doing crazy stuff. I mean, like double these steps, and they would go running off the end of the steps and jump and fly down that set of steps, that long, deep set of steps, into those double doors that were glass. <laughs> I still remember telling them, you guys are out of your mind. If you... I didn't want my children to disobey me, so I just didn't tell them not to do it. But anyway, the fact was, is that here they went diving off the top of those steps. Boy, that was it, 12 or 13 steps or something stupid like that? All the way down, landing on the ground at the bottom. And I'd say, are you nuts? Do you realize how your knees are going to feel in 20 years from now? Do you realize what you're going to feel like in 40 years? You're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 45 at that rate. How many of you still already feel those bumps and bruises from your youth? Yeah. Remember playing football and you thought you were everything? Now you know that you're nothing because you can't turn your neck anymore? 
You know, you're driving down the road and you're like, and the car's going, mm. right? I mean, that's what your body does. You get older, my, oh my. It's crazy, but we have, in the day of our death, a new body to look forward to. Oh, man. Oh, Solomon says, listen, I'm just going to give you a heads up. <laughs> the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Why? Are you out of your mind? No, I'm not out of my mind. I'm telling you, he says, it's better. It's better. Not only are you born into a life of sin, but the consequences of those sins, look at how they're affecting your life. Boy, you know what? Death introduced you to an existence of holiness. Wow. If we're not careful, we lose sight of the fact that really death brings a better existence. It's interesting, isn't it, as folks grow older and they pass on. Younger people, young people especially, are like, wow, they had such a full life. You could be 55 and you had a full life to young people. And I mean to tell you, they're like, wow, good for them. So much better for them. They're in heaven now. But when somebody that's 40 dies, most of the time families don't say that. Most of the time Christians don't even say that. Most of the times Christians get bitter and wonder why God took them so early. And we forget these truths when we need them the most. There's nothing easy about losing a loved one, a family member. Especially the younger they are, we understand that because often in many cases there's children or there's family and there's things that, responsibilities that just make it that much more difficult for everyone left behind. But boy, as believers, we better be careful that we have the right perspective. That we see things from God's vantage point. Hey, I'm talking to me too. It's easy to get so wrapped up in this life that we somehow convince ourselves it's more precious than eternity. And yet Solomon, in his great wisdom, says, let me give you a tidbit of advice. Let me tell you a little bit about the truth. Let me help you a little bit about this thing called the day of your death and the day of your birth. I want you to know, he says, and I want to be emphatically clear that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. As precious as that day of birth is, the day of your death is better because it produces and, and offers you greater dividends than life did. That's hard to remember in certain situations, isn't it? And I understand that. But Solomon's trying to lend us some perspective, biblical perspective, spiritual perspective. If you had your choice, and, and this is an interesting question. I think it is. It's just something that came to my mind, but I think it's interesting to think about. If you had your choice right now that you could live forever on this earth in the state that you are, or you could die and go into eternity knowing what you know right now about eternity, which would you choose? 
Now, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, I'd choose heaven. I think a number of people struggle with death because they're not convinced that eternity may be like they think it should be. I'm not so sure that our faith is as strong as we'd like to believe it is. I'm not sure that our reality of Christ is so, so real that we can't wait to close our eyes in death knowing, without a doubt, we'll open them in his presence. And I do believe that it's possible that more than we would like to believe would, would opt to remain in their present state forever than to move on in death to eternity? I think it's an intriguing question. And I think it's something that as believers we ought to consider. Because as Solomon said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. No, I'm sorry. He said a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. That's a wise man speaking there. We need to heed his advice. We need to truly consider what he's saying and think it through a little bit. And let's put death where it belongs. For the believer, death is truly a precious thing. If you're lost tonight, you don't want nothing to do with death. You don't want to even, don't even tempt death. You need the Savior to wash your sin away. See, Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you from your sin so that when you did close your eyes in death, and you will, because we all die because of sin at some point, you don't have to spend eternity paying for your sin in a place called hell. You can live forever with him. You can open your eyes in his presence. You can bask in his presence for eternity. You can get that new body and you can continue to dwell with the Lord and other believers forever in a wonderful place, a blissful place, a beautiful place. But you have to trust him and receive the Lord. You have to receive him as Savior and allow him to forgive you, save you, and take you to heaven one day. Are you a believer? Well, what's your attitude toward death? That's what he's addressing. He's helping us with how to feel about death. How do you feel about it? It's an intriguing question. It's something we ought to consider. But never let us consider it without the benefit of the Word of God. Because without this, I'd want to hold on to this life forever too. But when I look at this, I've got all and every reason in the book to step off into eternity. And it'd be better than life ever was.